On Point, hosted by Peter Van Artrike. Conversations with interesting and informative experts on technology, branding, culture, social media marketing, and other great topics. Hello again, everybody. I'm Peter Van Artrike, your host for On Point, brought to you by our good friends at Wells Media, which includes Carrier Management, Insurance Journal, and other fine publications. This episode is supported by PersonalUmbrella.com, where you can quote standalone personal umbrella policies of up to $5 million in three minutes online by answering just four simple questions. Our guest today is Lee Shabel, CEO of Verisk. Lee, thanks so much for being with us today. Peter, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, I thought, um, Lee, if you could start uh, start us out with a little bit about your you, your background, um, your career, where you got started, and what brought you to Verisk. Uh, sure, Peter. So, you know, briefly, for most of my career, I worked in financial uh, financial institutions uh, as a an investment banker that focused on banks, finance companies, insurance companies in providing advice around capital raising and M and A. And um, during the course of that work, I gravitated towards financial institutions that were utilizing technology to um, uh, re-engineer their approach in delivering their products or accessing new customer customer sets. Uh, And so some early examples of those were the uh, monoline credit card companies, companies like MB&A and First USA and Capital One, who still exist today. But then I also... um, began to work with some electronic trading companies. So some of the early electronic brokers like a Schwab or TD Waterhouse or E-Trade. And then that led me to uh, the exchanges, particularly as they adapted new technology and uh, electronified and digitized their world. And as a result of a close relationship that I had with a client, uh, which was NASDAQ, I was invited to become the CFO of NASDAQ, working for Bob Breifeld there, which was a great opportunity. And so I, I shifted into that. Uh, I, I left from NASDAQ after about five years uh, and joined Verisk uh, as their chief financial officer, um, spent five years. And uh, about a year ago, I had the tremendous honor of being asked uh, by the board to succeed Scott Stevenson, um, who was our prior chairman and, and CEO. And that's how uh, I got to where I am right now. Okay. So um, my, my um, uh, experience with, with Verisk and the, and the predecessor firm, I know it's evolved over decades. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about the company? I know a lot of our listeners know who you are, but um, maybe give us a thumbnail. No, happy, happy to, because it's been, it's really a fascinating journey um, from Verisk's origin originally as a utility, and, and many of your, your listeners and readers will be familiar with ISO or the Insurance Services Office that was right. set up by the property and casualty insurance industry um, to facilitate their statutory um, filings, standardization of, of policy forms, rules, aggregation of loss costs. And that was really the origin, not as a data and analytics business, but as an entity that was collecting information and reports, um, delivering them to state regulators to provide efficiencies to the industry. And then, of course, as we began to realize the benefits of being able to analyze and benchmark that data, provide aggregate loss costs to the property and casualty insurance industry, that was the beginning of our analytics function. And then as 
of computers and digitization accelerated the ability to gather new data sets and develop new technology and apply it um, into new applications in underwriting uh, and in claims, it gave us the opportunity to develop into um, the um, data and analytics and um, broadly speaking, a technology partner to the insurance industry. To this day, our primary mission is to provide value to the global insurance industry by investing in data sets and technology that allows us to deliver um, value to the entire industry in addition to individual companies. So recently, Lee, um, and, and as, you, as you look at 2023, what, what trends with technology have you seen occurring in the industry? So I, I would say the, the primary trend that we see, Peter, is just a continued rapid digitization of the, of the industry. And I think it's, it's occurring across two primary fronts. Uh, one is on the customer side, where um, the, the customer base is increasingly used to interacting with, with vendors and service providers in a digital environment, and certainly in a shopping environment that they've been conditioned to um, with all of their interactions with Amazon. Uh, and so the industry is uh, working to adapt their processes, their products into that environment. And then on the other side, um, they are working now to deal with uh, a much more digitized data set and increasingly a digitized process for delivering their products and coordinating with other external parties, whether it's a, an adjuster um, or a broker or a reinsurer, um, where the connectivity of that digitized environment is, uh, is much more intense than it would have been previously. So collectively, uh, that has been an, a, an important trend in 2022, and we expect it to continue to be a dominant trend in 2023. So essentially, um, you're, uh, so the customer side as well as the, uh, the business partners within the industry are more, um, uh, you're, we're going to see more of this, um, uh, the old days we used to call it automation. Um, where tasks have, have evolved on the on the B two B side to be to be using using data more. Um, there's so many different iterations of it, uh, with uh, you know artificial intelligence being one people talk about a lot now. But just to 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 evolve it so that we're not having to touch things as much, but the time is then spent on other more human things like you know communication. Or where where do you see that that headed? Yeah, I think you've touched on a, a number of elements, and it manifests itself in in a variety of, of ways. But if we think about what has has changed, I think there are um, a couple primary elements. One is that we have a lot more data um, that is generated from new sources um, that wouldn't have existed before. And so, for instance, if we take the life uh, the life industry, we would have traditionally relied on um, mortality tables uh, to price policies. There was maybe some uh, in integration of, of credit scores um, to evaluate life peril risk. But now we have a wealth of mobility data, social media data, behavioral data um, that uh, now can inform different dimensions of uh, or segmentation of, of peril risk. Um, so that I kind of describe as there simply is more data, and that gives us more opportunities to apply machine learning, artificial intelligence techniques to segment that, 
to improve the products, to more specialize the products that we have. So that's kind of the underwriting side. The other dimension is that the connectivity of that data has improved, particularly as the industry has moved more meaningfully into the cloud where data sets can be connected more effectively. And that's enabled um, not only improvements in internal processes um, to address what you referred to in your comment as automation, um, but also externally in terms of the ability to integrate um, processes in the insurance uh, in the insurance world between broker and, and carrier, between reinsurer and primary insurer, between customer and, and claims agent. So uh, the, the process improvements um, that are enabled um, and the automation of some of those functions um, has represented another area for the industry to, um, uh, to create value by reducing costs and improving productivity um, within, the, uh, within the industry as a whole. Okay, so um, a lot of the, um, I mean, I, I ch- change is difficult. I mean, the insurance industry, certainly, they're not on, typically not on the leading edge of, of change. And you can just look at InsurTech as an example of something that is 10 years behind FinTech and MedTech and EdTech, but it's it's happening. I think more and more, it's been really beneficial, these new investments uh, coming into the insurance industry. But it also um, has resulted in people worrying about, gee, what's going to be the role of the underwriter? What is what what is the, what happens to the human side of the agent and broker? What they do to help customers, and and so it's more of this. So again, this is like the the view that um, you know maybe we should slow all this down and make sure that we don't just turn this into one big underwriting machine that we still have the human element because insurance is something that's a little bit of an unusual product. And to talk about and to to sell and to and you know price and sell, um, how do you see that shaking out? Because I think this this uh, has a huge impact on the future. You know the skill sets that are going to be required of people in the future. Like what are they going to do? I'm sure they're all wondering about that. Maybe not the younger folks, but the people who are mid career um, certainly are wondering. Like, wait wait a minute. Uh, if you, if everybody's taking a picture of their, uh, you know, their fender bender with their, with an app on their iPhone, you know, we're not sending out claims adjusters anymore. Like uh, what, what is happening to our industry? So I, 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 sorry for the rambling question, but I think, I think that's uh, on the minds of many people in the industry. I, I, I think you've articulated it uh, well, Peter, and I, and it, it is something that is um, we, we would observe as well um, and um, are concerned about uh, because we think that, the, the industry at its core uh, is uh, really engaged in um, pricing um, risk. And there is a parallel in the asset management industry um, where um, the asset management industry almost you know, literally on the other side of the balance sheet on the, on the asset side is taking in a lot of information, evaluating um, what should be informing their investment, um, investment decisions. And um, has uh, similarly been under a lot of um, price pressure. And what we have seen is that they've been able to improve the efficiency in which they are um, taking data in, ingesting it, evaluating, and focusing on their primary differentiating factor, which is where do I want to invest? Where do I see returns relative to risk? And I think in the insurance industry, um, the um, the, the, the analogy holds where the deployment of the technology 
that we see on data sets will enable them to focus more on where can they differentiate their understanding of the risk, price it efficiently, uh, meet their customer needs and understanding what they're looking for more effectively and really distill um, their value proposition um, to their uh, to their customers and to their investors, um, which I think technology uh, enables them to um, to clarify. So that's uh, I think where we see the um, the opportunity, rather than in um, having to make the the technology investments or, or or data management decisions that all insurance companies are struggling with. That's where I think the value proposition of Averis where we are able to do that on behalf of the industry. We aren't making the underwriting decisions. We're not making the claims uh, the claims decisions, but we're enabling the institutions that we serve focus their best resources, both financial and human, on serving their clients effectively and making certain that they're managing um, their underwriting process and their return process as effectively as possible. Last year, Lee, I was attending a uh, a conference, um, the Applied Systems, Applied Net, um, in uh, it, it was in Nashville. That's right, Nashville. There was about four thousand people there, and I I recall looking around the trade show and just seeing a sea of people, uh, four thousand people. <laughs> but it it occurred to me that the insurance industry statistics I've seen need like four or five hundred thousand people, so a hundred times that many at least. Uh, to come into the industry to replace all the boomers who are segueing or retiring, um, there's a huge need. So, so may, maybe um, if we could somehow reposition the industry as, as a stronger, more attractive employment brand to this huge generation, uh, Gen Z people in their 20s who are coming in. I mean, maybe that's one way the industry can confront the talent crisis. So, Peter, I, I, I completely agree with that, uh, that challenge that the industry faces. And I think there are a couple, couple observations of, that we would make from where, from where we sit, um, where we, we have a high degree of enthusiasm for both the insurance industry and what technology can do to it. But you know, at, its, at its core, I, I do think that the, the industry needs a little bit of branding help um, because I, I wouldn't say that probably most um, of a younger generation you know, immediately thinks of insurance, the insurance industry, as a an exciting career place. Uh, they're probably not as exposed to it. But you know, when you spend time to talk about um, the the social good that the insurance industry plays, and that unlike other industries, it's truly a communal industry in the sense that um, you are leveraging a very human dynamic where everyone comes together and they agree we're going to share this risk. Everybody's going to put money in. Um, there wasn't initially a communal or a mutual aspect of the, of the business. Um, and that's good for communities and that's good for society as a, as a whole. Now, beyond that benefit, the other, um, the other aspect is that it allows um, groups to focus on mitigation strategies um, or sustainability strategies that avoid those risks. So there is social good in that, in that dimension. Now, when you couple that with the fact that it is highly quantitative and obviously actuaries are at the heart of what the insurance industry does, you know, you tie that quantitative aspect to all of the exciting technology that we see in artificial intelligence and machine learning 
and the ability to connect these, connect these data sets um, to us, it becomes a really exciting place um, to be engaged on the cutting edge of technology, as well as supporting a broad societal good from an, an overall risk management standpoint and improving the resilience of our, um, of our, of our countries, of our economies, um, of individuals and of, and of communities. Now, the final thing that I'd have to say, I, I do think the industry um, also needs um, to reach out to um, communities that may not be as familiar with, uh, with insurance. And it's something that we're trying to do by introducing data science um, and insurance um, to um, communities uh, that um, have not had as much experience with it and developing new channels of talent into it um, because there, there simply uh, hasn't been as much um, connection to it uh, as in kind of you know, traditional, um, in its, from its traditional base. So I think if we can um, better communicate the social good that insurance is doing, convey the excitement of cutting edge technology, and then look to reach out and develop other new communities, uh, I think that's certainly a great starting point for us to address the, the problem that you described. Yeah, well, I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen with uh, inflation um, and the economy for the rest of 23, but clearly it, it's been a world of hurt for the insurance industry in terms of you know the, the, just the, 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 pr the premium costs for their customers and also with social inflation. Um, and some of the things that are going on in, in the courtrooms is, is, is truly astonishing. Um, what... Um, what does this mean for carriers? Because carriers need to be profitable. I mean, they're not they're not public organizations. You know, they're private. Uh, well, you know, Peter, you, I think you've hit on certainly one of the, the most common issues that we hear about from our carriers. You know, inflation is is not only driving higher claims costs for insurers, but it may be creating longer term risk exposures as consumers and, and businesses adapt to these these higher prices, and so. You know, for insurers, you know, this inflationary period, it's, it's creating short and longer term uh, pricing and reserving challenges and potentially heightening risk exposure across a number of lines of business. And this is, has led to subsequent spikes in the cost of producing and transporting goods and reconstruction. It is increasing the expected loss costs and auto um, home repairs, other property damage and liability, you know, underscoring the importance of closely tracking reconstruction costs and their impact on actual costs, uh, on actual losses. You know, replacing replacement costs um, that are rising may contribute to a thirty billion dollar increase in total losses, and and total reconstruction costs, including materials and, and retail labor. You know, by our analysis, increased by by nine point three percent from October twenty one to October twenty two. And so, what we're doing is is we're working diligently to help insurers leverage technology to increase their efficiency, to make more refined underwriting and claims decisions. Um, and we're integrating advanced analytics based upon high quality data that's robust, that helps insurers weather the storm and anticipate the trends that they, we are seeing in inflation, both from a regional standpoint and from a material standpoint. And we've actually begun to also help um, try to source materials um, that um, enable um, the industry to benefit from collective purchasing um, and uh, avoid um, short-term run-ups driven by, um, uh, by short-term supply-demand imbalances. 
So it's a combination of analytics as well as looking at some of the purchasing processes um, that um, that we're working to address. You know, that's you know one whole issue. And then of course, you know, we have social inflation, which is another dimension um, about which was kind of the second part of your question, which I'm you know happy to share some perspectives on as well if if, if you're interested in that. Yeah, I think social social inflation. If, if you know, you can explain it real quick, and then what you're seeing, how it's impacting the industry. Yes. Um, so, you know, for um, those that are, are less familiar with it, you know, social inflation um, you know, reflects uh, the impact of a higher degree of legal costs driven by um, an increase in the level of litigation and legal activity around uh, around specifically claims. And um, in in part, it was aggravated um, by um, the um, uh, the impact on COVID um, through um, the backlog of cases through the civil courts that were working with uh, working with those disrupt, uh, disruptions. You know, for to give you a, a very um, you know cute example of this, um, Florida is an area where insurers are seeing a significant amount of property claims litigation that is driving up claims costs. The state accounts for seventy nine percent of property litigation in the nation, but only nine percent of homeowners claims occur in Florida. You know, before the pandemic and the current round of, of economic inflation, insurance data reported into Verisk and insurer annual statements showed growing loss ratios in general liability, commercial auto, and, and significantly commercial umbrella starting in 2015. And these losses were occurring despite a reported decrease in claims frequency. So you know, these higher losses were suggestive of higher jury awards and higher defense costs associated with social inflation, and that trend continues. So to combat social inflation, insurers, um, we believe, should consider leveraging legal analytical tools um, that we've developed, um, their own legal uh, internal data, and making plans for possible nuclear verdicts so they're not caught off guard should one materialize. Um, it begins to take on the feel almost of kind of hurricane or natural disaster planning um, that as we gather more data on the industry, um, and it needs to be incorporated into their planning. And then regularly reviewing and updating rating information, especially in times when social inflation may be significant as also a best practice. Are there other um, emerging risks that you're keeping an eye on for the industry? You know, you know we are. There, there are uh, um, beyond inflation. Um, we're certainly... I'm keeping an eye uh, on climate change, um, fraud, and, and digital engagement that we talked about at the outset. But you know, let me let me talk about the the first two. Um, and you know, in, in each of these, um, you know, the the risks are high um, to potentially shape or um, uh, restructure the industry and, and society as a whole. So you know, we um, you know. We actively monitor climate change. This is an outgrowth of some of our extreme events businesses and modeling um, hurricanes and storms for the reinsurance industry. And so we monitor that impact on the industry. Earlier this year, we created a climate advisory council to help provide strategic guidance and feedback on climate change solutions that Verisk is developing so we can help organizations better understand the impacts of climate change from an insurance perspective and inform their resilience and sustainability um, efforts. You know, on the uh, on the fraud front, you know, the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud recently reported that the the economic impact of insurance fraud 
is over 308 billion, impacting insurers, businesses, and consumers. And historically, fraud increases during economic downturns. So we've been helping the industry combat this problem with policy lifecycle anti-fraud solutions that use advanced fraud analytics informed by our claim search database, you know, which includes more than one and a half billion dollar um, claims. So you know, these are you know, two examples of where we are trying to leverage transformative technologies to accelerate our, our ability to act as our customer's technology partner in more of a utility role and where we can try to find new solutions for the, um, for the industry. You know, that's really, I think, where we create the most value for the, um, for the industry and, and ultimately for our shareholders. Lee, before you go, I, um, you don't really need to answer this question, but it's something that's been on my mind a while is just the, the future of the insurance industry being really not about so much insurance, about paying claims as it is avoidance of claims in the first place a completely different industry that's more about risk management. I think I find that so fascinating. Um, and, and yes, um, people say, well, insurance is, it's about paying claims, but what if there weren't claims, you know, it's a ways away for sure, but that is, that has got to be in the minds of everyone who's involved in, um, you know, underwriting uh, and, and certainly claims. <laughs> it's just, it's just a, a very fascinating area. Well, you know, Peter, I mean, that, that is something that I get very excited about because I, I, I see the same thing and I'm going to draw a connection to the, to the data um, for you. Um, and, and I, I um, you know, yes, the, you know, the insurance industry is primarily focused on um, risk sharing and, and, and taking um, and um, administering and dedicating capital um, to um, helping individuals, corporations, um, other entities uh, um, protect themselves um, from an adverse uh, event um, from a financial perspective. And um, they've gathered a lot of data sets in order to be able to do that effectively. And where I see that evolving on the lines that you're describing is that as we are incorporating more operating data or connected data, and I'll use um, telematics as, exa as an example, we have developed one of the largest telematics databases um, to um, inform our auto underwriting clients and as well as to help the industry to um, adjust to a more usage-based product um, than we would have had historically. If you think about that trend where we're able um, through a customer to monitor driving behavior and potentially adjust that behavior in a, in, a, in a way that mitigates the risk um, or um, a stream of homeowner data um, that uh, potentially identifies either fire risk or theft risk or other, other dimensions. Um, there are elements of that connectivity tied to the data sets that I think can have benefits, certainly on the pricing side, but also on this, this mitigation and the ability to help um, customers avoid risk is certainly part of, I think, the increasing value proposition um, that the insurance industry can provide. Um, some of, I think, some of the more um, innovative new insure tech players, I think, are taking precisely that angle in the way that they are designing their interfaces with customers, you know, which provides a, a bit of a, uh, of a path or a trail, I think, for the rest of the industry to follow. Right, right. Okay. Well, Lee, um, thanks for your time today. Uh, enjoyed the, the chat. And, uh, 
best of luck to you and your colleagues at Verisk. Thank you very much, Peter. Really, uh, you know, um, fascinating and and, uh, and provocative questions, um, and a, just a great sign of your familiarity with the um, the challenges that the industry is facing right now. We really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, sir. This has been on point with Peter Van Artrike, a podcast presentation of Wells Media Group.